Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member Jonas Carpeten, CEO of Edge Alerter. Edge Alerter is Australia's number one performing sport and racing tipping service, helping members make a nice side income by outsmarting the bookies. Jonas is an incredibly smart, hardworking entrepreneur who moved from the world of hedge funds and derivative trading into the world of gambling. We had a deep dive into the gambling industry, discussing things that are relevant to all businesses, such as cognitive bias in the workplace, use of promotions to gain and keep customers, the importance of your client's first experience, and things that we should watch out for when gambling. Jonas is an absolute legend. Hope you enjoy the show. Jonas, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Mate, there must be a shit ton of punters in Australia, I'm sure, because it's part of our culture. Yeah, there are. Um, there are lots of us. We, we love punting for some reason. Uh, the numbers are somewhere in the realm of two to three million Aussies are active punters in some way, shape or form, whether it's horses, um, sport or, or the pokies. Uh, the pokey numbers are, are pretty hard to, to get a, an, an exact number on because um, you can bet with cash. And it's, but um, yeah, about two to three million of us punt actively. What do you think makes our culture uh, – is our culture like more pro, more inclined to gambling than other cultures? Do you think – like do you know the, the stats of other countries or – the, the stat that I do know is that a, the Australian, Australian punters lose more per capita than any other nation. <laughs> well, that's not good. <laughs> you, yeah. Um, I mean you could probably do some sort of a, uh, an adjustment there with regards to um, wa- wages being a bit higher here than, than overseas but – um, we lo- we love having a bet. That's for sure. Well, we love having a bet, and 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 the, obviously the the losing doesn't doesn't deter us from 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 continuing. Seemingly not. Yeah, seemingly not. It, it does make it like the only thing I ever bet on is the UFC, and I I bet chump change. Like I'm betting like the most I would ever bet is like a hundred dollars. So I'm mostly betting like ten twenty dollars, and you know. So let's say on one UFC card. I might bet a total of like 50 bucks. That's 50 bucks that like made the whole experience more entertaining. It's a justifiable expense of like, you know, like it was worth betting that 50 bucks. I, yeah. I know I'm going to lose it. I'm betting on the most outrageous things to happen. Cause I, you know, I won't bet unless it's at least a six to one odd, like preferably 10 plus. So if I win, it's exciting. But if I lose, I'm like, oh, I don't really care. So like, I, 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 I can, it's not just like, I think it really, betting can become more of a sickness if it's like, oh my God, I need to win. Like, you know, like, um, but, but if you're just betting just to have a bit of a, to, to enhance the experience of watching a sporting event and yep. you're betting, you, you know, I think the beautiful thing about betting is that you can actually choose the amount uh, unless you're an addict or something, but you can choose the amount that you're, you're betting with. And so you've got like a, a, you're in control of the enhancement of your sporting experience. Yeah. I mean, on that, that's a good point. Why do people bet? And you could probably break it down into two very simple baskets. One is for entertainment, which is what you're doing. And as long as you're not, as long as $50 a week or whatever you're betting per week on average, isn't too much for you. You can, it's not the difference between being able to eat healthy food and not, um, that's probably totally fine. It's entertaining. It's enhancing experience. 
The second bucket is those who are actually trying to win. Um, and with that bucket, it's, it's very hard to win, quite frankly. Uh, there are lots of professionals out there who, who are trying um, and even those, the best ones around are, are winning at very small margins. So if you're going in there trying to win, you've got to really think, um, do, do I have an edge? Is it sustainable? And um, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail soon about that. Yeah, tell, tell me about Edgelota, your company. Yep. Uh, so Edgelota, my background is 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 in quant finance and professional derivatives trading, and I worked at Beth Three Six Five for five years. And through those experiences, I sort of saw an opportunity, especially with regards to the the bookmaker promotions out there, which there have at the time when I started Edgelota about four years ago. Um, there was a phenomenal amount of promotions out there, bookies trying to get people to open up accounts. Uh, reactivate accounts, and but since then, I mean, the the volume's actually gone up probably four x. It's it's gotten. I thought it was good four years ago. Now it's ridiculous. What I mean by that is there are about twenty bookmakers in Australia at the moment that are offering unbelievable amounts of promotions. And so, if you, what what I wanted to do there is design a, a structured system that would um, make members a, a a nice side income by taking advantage of those promotions and. There are, there's a mathematical component to doing that. There's also a game theory component of that because if you're just abusing promotions, you're, you're essentially a card counter in a casino and the, the casino manager will kick you out because you're counting cards or in this instance in um, online promotions, the, the promotions will no longer be available to you. So basically designed a system there that um, is uh, allows members to make a nice starting come by taking advantage of these things and, and our members average about five or 600 bucks a week for sort of four to five hours of, of work. Okay, wait. So your business isn't about just placing uh, bets on sporting and racing and things like that. Your business is about um, analysing the promotions of all the book uh, makers um, uh, and which are obviously in trying to entice people to come in to, to start betting with like DraftKings. Like, is that mm. an example of what Yeah, DraftKings is not available. That's the US, but... But a book, but someone, say, someone the, say like, a tab or sports bet or something. So, so you you gather all the promotions that they're using to get people onto their platforms and enable people to 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 make that bet. Yep, you, you're nearly there. So yes, we we scan the market for all the promotions available. Our team does that every every morning, and then secondly, we work out what the best bets are to take advantage of those promotions. So. We've got our own models around racing in golf across a bunch of sports and we're able to take, take very close to fair value when we're betting and which is hard because the bookmakers often have 5 to 10% margin in their favour. We're getting fair value so there's 0% expectancy. However, when you add the bookmaker uh, promotion insurance into it, then the edge in our favour is about 30%. So every $100 you're betting, you're expecting to make $30. So it starts with the promotions, you're absolutely right, and then we've got our models, our algorithms that work out what to bet on to get fair value or very close to that, to best take advantage of that. And then you end up with a stack of bonus bets and you might go, well, what do you do with those? We've got systems around converting those effectively. Just to give a quick stat now, the one of the key reasons why bookmakers offer so many promotions is because the average punter in Australia converts bonus bets into cash at about 30%, whereas our system converts at extremely close to 100%. So the 30% number by that, if you look at well, what does that mean, when they're giving you a $50 bonus bet, they don't see that as $50 I'm giving to Daniel. They're seeing it as 30% multiplied by $50. They see it as giving you $15. Um, so Because they know you're losing because it's not 
uh, how, how do you work that out? Because because it's it's not real cash. Then are you going to lose it anyway? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of. It's the the technicality with a uh, with a bonus bet is you don't, you don't keep the stake. So if you've got a fifty dollar bonus bet and you have it on a two dollar chance, if you win, you win fifty dollars of cash. If you lose, you win zero. Obviously, you've lost the bonus bet. So when you when you multiply a fifty percent probability of keeping fifty dollars and a fifty percent probability of losing fifty dollars. Um, the expectancy is, is is extremely low in terms of what you're converting. So. Okay, really clever what they do. And, and so, t- tell me, how do you? Obviously, you you mentioned just then you're working at Bet Three Six Five. What would you? Are you a Sydney boy? Where 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 you born? How'd you how'd you grow up? Yeah, I was born in Finland. My family moved here when I was five. Um, yeah, grew up in Sydney. Um, went to went to the states on a golf scholarship for a year after after school. I was I was decent at golf, but then I, when I was about 20, I realized it was going to be, I wasn't going to be a world beater. I probably could have turned pro and, and been, you know, one of those um, battling tour pros as they call them. And that's kind of where the whole, well, I had to rethink what I want to do with my life. And I've, I'd always been good at numbers and interested in numbers, um, fascinated by sort of systems. Um, and that led me to the, a mathematical finance degree and then went into trading soon after that. And how old were you when you had that realization that shit? Maybe I'm. I love golf, mm. but I d- I'm not sure if I'm if I'm good enough to uh, to you know be in that top echelon of world golfers. Yeah. How old were you when when you kind of realized? about twenty years of age? And and was that a difficult decision? Was it a disheartening decision, or was it something where you kind of looked at it logically and were like, well, look, I I need to find something new. I mean, probably a few mixed feelings, but um. Overall, it was a it was a pretty easy logical decision. I the way I, I assessed it was where am I at now? I've given it a good go, um, but also where are my peers? Like who are two, three, four, five years ahead of me? Um, where are they now? And sort of looked at that distribution of of career paths, how they're going, and and the reality was it's super hard to be hun- top hundred player in the world. And um, from that, it was just like okay, it's going to be. I don't like the look of that probability distribution. Let's get, um, let's find what's next. Well, think about how hard it is though to be in the top 100 of anything. Mm. Being the top 100 richest person, fastest person, tallest person, shortest person, Mm. you know, like being the top 100 anything, it's next to impossible. Mm. You know, you have to, you have to have a whole, you have to have genetics, luck, upbringing, Training situations that you know you've got fortunate to uh, mentors. You know, like it's just it's it's like a culmination of 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 just everything to to, to pinpoint that one person to the top one hundred. Anything. Yeah, absolutely right. It's 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 probably most people don't realize how how competitive um, a lot of sport is, and well, there are other fields like that you mentioned there as well. And so you you mentioned so you stopped golf and what you you jumped into a math degree, yeah, quant finance that was the degree at Sydney Uni. Um, did that for a, did, did a masters in that for a few years and then um, from there yeah I, I got an internship or well I don't think it was called an internship but I got a job at PwC while I was studying in corporate finance. Um, but then I sort of got a little bit bored and I was looking around and the the year happened to be one of the most memorable years in financial history. Actually, it was two thousand eight. Um, when I was coming towards the back end of my uni degree and the obviously the financial world was sort Collapsed. of falling apart in, yeah, in September 08, that was kind of the bottom of it. 
um, when the world was ending. And that was, a, you know, there's a lot of fear in the market, but there was also a lot of opportunity and the markets were moving around everywhere. Big banks were going down. It was um, quite fascinating to be watching out from the sidelines. And then I got in touch with a with a hedge fund here in Australia, one of the, the, the best ones around that had won like the best hedge fund of the year of whatever in Australia for a few years in a row. Anyway, they, they talked about what they do and, and then I just thought I'd just, while well, still uni, I, th- I thought I'd just send them an email and see if I could come in and have a chat, maybe do some pro bono work. And yeah, they thankfully got back in touch and said, yeah, come in for a chat. And then I ended up working there for like nine months, just pro bono for and three By pro months. bono, you mean like unpaid internships? Yeah. Yeah. I'd turn up at 6am, um, do some analysis with some of their junior analysts, um, and then go to PwC at 9am and sort of do the nine or 12 hour shift there. And, but I love that. That was like my first opening of getting a real, getting a job where I was passionate. I was like, shit, this is like, this is where I want to be. This is like. At the hedge fund. Yeah. Or in that game, the game of trying to outsmart people in, in some market. And yeah. And that, I guess that's what you do now. Yeah, that's right. But the the system, but, but what's interesting, how old are you? At the moment? Yeah. 40. You're 40. Holy shit. You don't look 40. You look amazing. Anyway. I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah. Well, it it works with what I'm about to say. Anyway, the fact that you were doing, you worked for free at a hedge fund from, what was it, 7 a.m. you'd get there or 6 a.m.? 6 a.m. I'd turn up. And- 6 till 9. Then you'd mm. go to your full-time job at PwC mm. from, I assume, 9 to 6, nine 7. To six, 9 to 9, whatever, nine, depending yeah. on whether it's a deal And then you'd study as well. So you were studying at that point. Yeah. These days, this next generation coming through – do not do that. First of all, they would have gone to the hedge fund and be like, "Listen, I want 150 grand, <laughs> yeah, and I and I want to work from home." It's not to mean everyone is like that. It means that the ones who are willing to put in that hard work, like what you just described, are going to dominate the next generation of business because, um, because you, you know, you put your personal. What what made you work that hard? I don't know that many people that that at that age would have done that bigger hours and, and a lot of it's unpaid work. You know what, uh, like. Maybe I, I work harder than the average person, but I think a key thing was one, like my golf career, I realized that that wasn't going to work out anymore. I needed something else. So I was just naturally driven to find something else. Um, and then secondly, like the market side, like I was studying stuff that I'm interested in and, and then I'm thrown into like the financial markets during a really crazy time. I was like, that was like something that I'm really passionate about. I don't want to sound like people talk about, oh, I'm so passionate, I'm so passionate. But I was like generally, genuinely like just going, shit, this is awesome markets, um, numbers, application of a lot of stuff that I've learned. So it, it actually didn't feel like hard work at the time. I was like, I've found it, bang, go hard. And and I probably went to bed at like 11 a.m. or 11 p.m., sorry, whatever I was going. And I was like fresh. I was like, that was fine. That was just another day. I'm good. And then get up the next day. Um, so, yeah, those two, I think, so drove you, it. And, and it was your passion, but you were learning the stuff at uni and you were actually – actually seeing it live at your, at your internship and you had your job just because you needed money to, to live life. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I just think that's a great example of someone at the start of their career and doing what's necessary to, 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 to do other. It also shows the importance of finding your passion, finding saying you actually genuinely, yeah. you genuinely like, did your, did you end up going full time at the hedge fund or? I didn't. The, what happened there was, um, without going into too many details, but what I can say publicly is, so there were there was a Bernie Madoff scandal. Mm-hmm. You remember them? 
So they, um, there are a lot of funds of funds. So they're funds that invest in other funds um, that had invested in the hedge fund that I was working at, but also into Madoff's fund. And when Madoff blew up, everyone took a bath and those funds of funds, many of them recalled, they made these huge redemptions. So they pulled funds from everywhere, even good hedge funds. So the funds under management dropped a lot at this one due to no fault of their own. Just Madoff. Because um, he scared the whole industry because he, sure. he was a respected, the, I think he was the largest or one of the largest players. He was super respected. If, mm. if he's doing the dirty, who else is doing the dirty? Yeah. You know, it's a bit scary. It's like, okay, give me my money back. Let's just see what happens. It wasn't so much that th- that they were concerned that other hedge funds were doing Bernie-like things. It was more just that Bernie had blown up so much capital that people didn't want to invest anywhere um, they didn't necessarily suspect there were other Bernies out there. It was more just like they've, they've, you know, all these funds of funds, they went under as well or they, they got mass redemptions out mm. of them. So it was just all those trickle on facts. And, and, and so when, what was the point where you moved from PwC or went to Bet365? Bet yeah, so there were a few steps in between. So I was at the hedge fund doing the sort of free work for nine months or so and then that hedge fund manager, he, he said openly like, Time's not good. Madoff's um, sort of he screwed us <laughs> screwed all. everyone. Um, he said, but I do know I've got a mate who runs a trading firm who you should go and have a chat with and went had a chat with him and then did some, te- you know, some aptitude tests or whatever and then soon after started trading there. Um, that was prop trading um, and I was there for a bit over a year. That was a, that was a really, it was an unpaid, it was like an, a zero salary pure profit split prop trading role, which was like, um, pretty balls to the wall in a lot of ways. Um, you got to back yourself there. And whilst I was, you know, somewhat profitable, it was, it was a tough gig, that one. Um, the markets had quietened down a lot in 09, um, not to make excuses, but that was the reality of the market conditions. And then I moved into options market making, which was a, a proper job at one of the, the sort of leading. Paying um, job. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a salary, but it was also like a, like a very, uh, options market making is quite, quite a competitive industry hard to break into it and, and it's um, quite challenging. So, but got into that and I was in that game for about four years at a, at a couple of the leading options market making firms um, globally. And you mentioned about 365. Soon after, well, after that four years of market making, um, the markets had, uh, were pretty quiet and Bet365 had opened up a, an office in Sydney and I thought I'd reach out to them and see if there's, I'd been betting sort of on the side a little bit here and there. Um, in a way that I was intelligent, but I was probably just a breaking break even sort of guy, maybe even losing a little bit um, because there was a fun component to it. But 365 opened an office, got in there and then ended up working there for five years. And at any point were you, did you have in your head, I, I, I want to start a business or were you just thinking at this point, I, I found what I love, I'm doing what I love and I'm learning, you know, in a really interesting market Um. um um, and and now I've transitioned to you know a similar skill set in 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 a different industry I guess but a very very transferable skill set. Were you ever thinking I want to be a business owner? Were you thinking I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing? Uh, probably a good question. Uh, it was it was through I'd say the three six five days when I was there that I started thinking about what else could I do? What other could I start something on the side? Um, and during that time, I, you know, I had my, I had one startup. It was a, it was a pub deals app. Um, never really took off, but I had, a, you know, gave that a bit of a go. Oh, um, while you're at three six five. At three six five, yeah. Um, so gave that a go with a few guys. Got, you know, got to some decent active user numbers, maybe fifty thousand a month active users. 
but hardly any revenue. Punters don't want to pay; they want to save a dollar. Um, pubs don't want to pay because they're all they're always under pressure, and it's you know too hard for them to pay. Uh, those were sort of too. It was hard to it was hard to monetize. Um, so um, that's when I started thinking about what what else could I do. Um, and then towards the back end of the three six five days, this edge alerter thing, you know, came up a little bit. I was like, hang on a minute, like having seen all the betting flow from customers and all the the way that they behave, um, it was, well, number one, it made it very clear how there aren't very many informed punters out there. Uh, it's very easy to be a bookie and that drives a lot of the profits. Um, most of the bookmakers out there are extraordinarily, extraordinarily profitable. Um, and what, can you explain what a bookmaker is? So there I are, know that for you that's one of the dumbest questions you've ever no, heard, but – but I reckon a lot of people are like, what exactly does a bookmaker do? Yeah, so they offer prices that can be bet on, but and you know there are outcomes. So well, I'll step, I'll step back. Um, you mentioned UFC before. You know, you might have person fighter A versus fighter B. They'll do some form on how likely each person is to win is to win that, and they might come to the conclusion that there's a there's a twenty five percent probability that player and a fighter A is going to win and there's a 75% probability that fighter B is going to win. Um, the fair odds there would be it'd be $4. If, it, if it's a 25% chance, you take the reciprocal of that. So it should be $4 fighter A. It should be the reciprocal of um, 75%, which is $1.33 player uh, fighter B. But they're never going to be $4.33 because there's no margin for the for the bookie there. So they'll be like $3.50, $1.25. So they've got a little bit of a buffer there. And then, you know, you might go in there, have your weekly 50 on on um, Fighter A. Fighter A. Fighter A, taking, taking 350 but the true odds are $4. In fact, I'll, I'll define true odds. The true odds are actually not known in in uh, in sport and racing because there are other variables. It's not like roulette where – And they decided on that probability themselves, no? That was their assessment. That yes. was their estimated probability. Yeah. So there's no true. There's just estimates from different bookmakers. So That's like right. when Ladbrokes puts up – um, um, you know, you can bet on this fighter, this win, this round. They've mm. just they've created their own. They've done their own uh, um, form. F- form is what you yeah. call it. So they, they, they've figured out what they think the probabilities are for all these things, and they've put it out there for you to purchase. Basically, that's right. And there's a little bit of a margin in their favour. I mean, I will caveat all of that with bookmaker bookmaking pricing skills these days aren't what they used to be. These days, the reality is. The, the bookie's not going to even do any form. They'll just look at what everyone else, what, what price everyone else is and be like, all right, I'll be 352. And they just copy each other yeah. a, a lot of the time. They're a bit – that pricing component has really – that pricing skill um, component of bookmaking has become a lot less – Diminished. Um, yeah, a lot less relevant these days. What is and – then, and then the second part to bookmaking, obviously it's fine to have prices on your website that, you know, you can have your weekly 50 on. Um, but if no one turns up, no one opens up an account, then you know they're they're not going to make any money. Um, so it's obviously margin that they have in their favour multiplied by betting volume. That's their revenue. Obviously, you know taxes and um, point of consumption tax and all these things need to be considered as well. But it's ultimately just volume of bets that they take multiplied by their mar- the margin in their favour. Um, and that that's, so they just need numbers. Revenue. They need numbers. They need volume. they need revenue. And and so what what made you feel like the gambling industry was something that you wanted to get into like or, or stay in stay in 
Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's probably because the financial markets when I was um, in sort of 13, 14 went super quiet. There was a lot of quant trading shops that had opened up and the margins really got squeezed in that industry. So margins got squeezed in that game um, and the volatility was low. It wasn't as exciting anymore. Betting was still growing. It was taking off. And at the end of the day, um, I mentioned that $4 or the $350.25 example. Um, at the end of the day, um, options market making, you're coming up with a, a probability assessment of future prices for assets. Um, so very transferable skills to, to the betting market. So um, that's probably what drove it. And do you think that, like, how do you assess what you do for people? Are you Do you ever get concerned that you would be helping someone fuel a gambling addiction or is it more, do you see it, which is how I would see what you do is, no, well, people are gambling, there's three, three, four million people or whatever gambling anyway. We, we may as well help them do it the best way possible and not lose their money. Yeah, I mean, like, do you ever we, get concerned about the, the downside to it? Uh, maybe, maybe a tiny bit, but I mean, you can only do so much, I suppose. Um, they have so by that I mean we educate how to be disciplined. Like our seven day betting course talks about how to be disciplined, how to have structure to your betting, common traps, cognitive biases, a lot of these things. So we provide education that gives them a, what we think is a, a really good chance of being successful. And I'd say a very large majority do follow up very close to the T. Um, have we had, have we seen signs of maybe problem gambling? We've, there have been a few members who have um, messaged us and we've instantly just said, hey, we strongly recommend, you know, stop betting, call the gambling hotline. Um, and we, we put them on set of a blacklist so we don't let them join us anymore and sort of give them a framework to, to move forward on. But that's a very, an extra, I'm talking like three or four people out of maybe, we've got over 500 members now, we've maybe had over 1,200 members historically. And what's your business model? How do you make your money? So it's a, a weekly revenue, uh, a weekly subscription. So we've got a number of um, membership categories and people just, to, they just join up and the membership categories range from like $50 to 200 a week. And depending on obviously which one they join, they get access to certain tips and um and, that and do you get a cut of any of their winnings? No, we don't. Okay, well, that's pretty good for them. And so really you're just teaching people and helping people make money from sports betting. That's right, that's, sport and that's, racing. That yeah. is, that's the essence of the business. Correct. And our pricing is structured such that if you follow the system to the T, our, the membership costs approximately 10% of what they make per week. So someone paying 50 they're averaging 500 a week and they're just paying us essentially 10% of that. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, a good, it's a good product and, um, yeah. That's what made you get to the point in Bet365 um, that you decide, okay, I'm going to leave now? Like was that a tough decision going out and committing or you had already kind of done a startup, I guess, so maybe you weren't as, as fearful. Although that one failed, so that <laughs> yeah. you might be more fearful. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, what made me jump, I think I'd – I just thought, you know, it's time. Let's just have a crack. Uh, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, I had a runway of like six, nine months. I was like, I don't, I don't need to earn anything over that period of time and I can still live happily. So, um, yeah, just jumped in, um, got involved in a, a couple of startups, um, one of which is, was a blockchain project that's, um, that they, to they tokenized the Perth Mint's Gold. That's been a very successful project I was um, involved in. 
and a couple other things I dabbled in, but then maybe six months into having left Bet365, that's when I um, I, I did, I came up with the MVP for uh, Edgelota. And did you do a big market analysis and figure out, okay, this is what's missing in the market or, or what was the market at the time and what do you, what do you think has made you guys um, successful over the past four years? Yeah, uh, where it started actually, I was at um, I was at the races with with some mates, like three or four of us there, and, and it was Winx's last race at Randwick, and and I, I don't go, you know, you might find it surprising, but I don't go to the races actually that often. Maybe been like three times ever. Um, but anyway, I was there, and with some smart mates, I like to you know consider they're half smart or whatever, but they're just punting like degenerates, and I was like, oh my god. Um, what a what a life to be a bookie um, when you've got these these, these sorts of behaviours. These degenerates out here just yeah. throwing their money. At you. Who know they're de- degenerates deep down? Um, and it got me thinking. Okay, like, and I, like, surely there's a, an easy way to to make these guys some money. And so I came up with just the back of the envelope in my mind of how I would suggest they go about it. And it's it, you know in a in a fifteen second summary, it's like open up accounts with a bookie, take advantage of the first deposit offers come up with, and then I came up with some stake sizing rules. Don't bet like 50% of your whole bankroll on one go, like more like 5%. Um, and then talked about or thought about how we, we would come up with estimates of um, true value uh, or, or the, the true price. Um, and then I had a couple of mates. So I said, hey, like, let's do this. I'll tell you what to do for the next like month. And yeah, made them a whatever, a few hundred bucks over that time, very consistently staking small amounts. And then I was like, okay, did the sort of further investigation into just how much I think you could make reasonably from it, given all the bookie promotions, given an assumption around starting bankroll, stake sizing rules. And when you, you know, you broke it down in an Excel sheet in like 20 minutes. And I was like, you can easily make three, 400 bucks at the time for like a few hours of work tax-free. Um, that like, what am I missing here? Um, and... That's right, because there's no tax on your gambling winnings. No, not not for a recreational punter. And yeah, our members they they don't get taxed. Um, so that got me to the next level of like I've made my mates happy, made them some money. Um, could I commercialize this? Um, and that yeah, that's where it started. I just thought I set up a Facebook page, not even a website, run a few ads, um, and then had sort of a handful of ten or twenty people um, paying fifty bucks. That you know we do a free trial. People want to test these things. There are a lot of um, people are naturally skeptical about the the betting industry in general, but very specifically about tipsters. Um, like and un- so you'd consider yourself a tipster because you're not a, a bookie because you're not taking bets. Taking bets. That's right. You're telling people what bets What's to better? take or helping them choose what bets to yeah, take. That's so you're correct. a tipster. Tipster, correct. <laughs> that's a mad name. Um, I don't know if my mum would be proud of that. But no, no. Um, <laughs> hey, you're a successful, you're a tipster entrepreneur. So, so at that stage I'd come up with the, the MVP idea and then it was like um, let's look at the market and I mentioned the two to three million active punters in Australia per year. Of that, about two million are active sport and or racing. But then I looked at the other tipping services out there, you know, just do, let's just do some quick market analysis. I was looking around and we found that there are about 150 tipsters in Australia. And then you go, okay, well, how many are following them? And approximately a million are following tipsters. Can you believe it? And in Australia, that's a lot of people. Yeah, and I mean, you well, that was one one third of the gamblers, correct? I yeah. Think you mentioned and if you just if you just think there aren't really tipsters in on poker machines, so it's it you'd say one million one million divided by two million, so it's like fifty percent of these punters are following tipsters. Um, that, so then 
looked at sort of how these guys operate and turns out a lot of them are either making their numbers up um, because, look, the barriers to entry aren't very high, right? You just set up a Facebook page and say we're killing it and put up a few rocket ship emojis and um, a sign-up link. Uh, that's the barriers to entry, like as close to zero as you can get, run some ads. Um, the other uh, category which was like I have a real big problem with is affiliate tipsters. So what they are is they're actually – they're pretending to be a tipster. They're like, you might see some ads on your Facebook page, like NBA tipster on fire or whatever. And they've got all the, all the flames and all the, the rocket ships and, and whatever from all their winners. And, and then it's free. It's free. We know that like whenever something's proposed to you is free, like always question, is it, is it truly? Um, so, and, sorry, you keep going. And, and in this industry, the way that their model works for a lot of them is they'll go, Daniel, Welcome to our tipping service. Absolutely free. Look at all the rocket ships over there. Um, to, to the way that we keep our our membership free is that you just need to join. You know, Bookie ABC. Once you join them, send us the a photo of you. Send us a, a screenshot of your um, username or whatever, and they get a referral fee. Correct. And and not only so, it'd be fine if it stopped at like they get a hundred bucks cost per acquisition, but they often get trailing losses, so they'll get thirty percent of your future losses into, into perpetuity. So if you dump on average, say 10 grand a week, a a year, you're losing 10 grand a year. They're getting three grand. They're getting three grand. And so that's a good business, but obviously. It's just a highly unethical business. A little bit. You need people to lose to make money. Yeah. And which I guess is the gambling industry. But they're tipping you, they're incentivized to tip your losers. So there's, um, it's a spectacular conflict <laughs> of interest. That um, is, that's the best way you could put that. That is a spectacular <laughs> conflict of interest. Yeah. So, so having done that market research, it looked like, the, and, and don't get me very wrong. Very clever of the bookmakers though. Very clever. Yeah. yeah that's a really good mm. like system, free, almost, no, nah, not free, but, but a cost effective way for them to have essentially free staff out there getting people to, to, to lose their money with them. It's smart, I guess, as long as they can keep that dirty secret a secret. Um, but so having done, and, and just, just for sort of completeness, like there are some good tipsers out there that don't operate unethically. So it's not all rubbish. There were some good ones. Um, there still are some good ones. <laughs> Exhibit A. <eight. laughs> um, but so having done that research, I was like, okay, put it all together. Let's, um, let's come up with our own sort of MVP, run a week, week, one week trial. And I was literally just on a Saturday for three hours. I'd be, I was literally the guy tipping and I'd, developed, you know, a framework, uh, a very small, like simple algo. And so I'd be there, spend three hours a day on a Saturday during the heat of the, the main rate, the main meat of the racing day, just tipping. And I was, it sort of surprised me at how many joined and stayed on and told their mates. And so then I generated a little bit of education around it, um, sort of just expanded it out a little bit. And then it got to a point where it was making enough money for me to be able to hire someone to do the tipping. Then we expanded to Wednesday as well. Wednesday's the, the other big racing day. And, yeah, since then we've expanded and we've got a you know, small team of four of us now um, plugging away, just over 500 members um, on board. And, and what and I think what's important to kind of highlight in this story is that you witnessed the opportunity. You saw an issue that your friends had, which was these guys are successful guys, so they've got a bit of cash, but they're just betting blind. They don't – they're just – they don't know what they're doing. They're just doing it for, for the sake of being there and doing it. So, I mean, that's an issue in one sense that your friends had and it's an opportunity that you saw that you could have solved. And and then, which is something that I am a big believer in, is starting small. 
you know, you don't need to go in and just start with this huge company, with the company. You can just go in and start. Can I make two, three, can I make three people money uh, by helping them uh, bet or whatever your business is, you know, can I make three amazing coffees that makes these people come back and get and have them again or whatever it is, just starting small and expanding naturally. I always find that when companies start small and expand naturally, when it works, they're always more stable businesses because it was this kind of natural growth where they, 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 they mastered serving that one person and then they mastered, okay, can we serve three people? Yeah, we can. Okay. Yeah. Now that we serve three people, we, we know we can serve six because we just replicate what we do again for that. Yeah. For the day. And that, that I always think that's, and I also think that, that that's the best way to grow, but I also think it's the best way for uh, to starting a company being unintimidating where it's kind of like, well, look, my goal here isn't to be super successful yet. My goal here is can I serve one person very well in whatever it is I do? And then it just, that goal expands. Can I serve three people? Can I now serve a thousand people? And you know, eventually the more people you serve, you get successful. But by starting that small and the mission being like, can I make my friends 300 bucks this month? My four friends, you know, that's now led to well, I've got 500 strangers who I'm now uh, providing fantastic knowledge and tips to who are all making money. Um, I assume who are all making money from my tips so long as they're following the tips. Um, um, and now the question is, oh, well, how do we get 5,000? Mm. You know, and so what is your vision for the company? Uh, just one thing quickly. I 100% agree with the start small thing. Like the, the feedback loop is very, very, a lot more, a lot quicker when you start small as well. And obviously when you're trying to come up with version one and two, feedback's like king, especially when you put a, propose like them to pay like why didn't they pay or, or why did they why didn't they refer them out and yeah 100 um starting small there's a lot of power in that so you were saying that by having a small number of people you really have a big open communication with them and therefore can develop the product a lot quicker that's right yeah, yeah i agree with that. That, that, yeah. that that's part of the benefit of starting small yeah um the vision i mean we just want to expand um expand the offering where at the moment i mean if you said okay I get it. You're doing some tips. You're doing some promo stuff. Whatever. If you ask me to just sort of expand on that a little bit more in 30 seconds, I'd say. So there's the there's a racing component to it, and we're hitting specifically promotions because that's where there's just an enormous volume. There's there's never been more racing promotions available to us. Um, we do same game multis. So same game multis. That's a new product. Bookies developed. It's extremely profitable for the bookies. Um, we've got a way to. Um, Go close to break even on them. We lose at about 4% profit on turnover if you don't have any pr promo uh, insurance. Um, but with the promo insurance, you, you win at about 30%. Um, without going to the details, we've got a, a negative correlation uh, angle there, which is in direct opposition to the, the market's general flow. So the, so the bookies are basically skewing their prices this way and we go the other way. Um, we've got a golf system that simulates outcomes in golf. I've used a lot, using a lot of my background there and that doesn't rely on promotions. And then recently we've, um, we've launched a new service as well that, that doesn't rely on promotions because I mentioned some numbers earlier. We've got, um, the average member makes about $50,000 over a, approximately an 18 month period. And then the, they're banned with every bookmaker, no more bets. 
Um, so we need to roll with promotion. So then we need to roll them into a new service and we've got a system that wins at about 3 to 4% profit on turnover without any need for insurance. So so that's a kind of the next evolution of this. We're okay, adding more so services. you had a bit of a problem. The problem was your clients with you had a lifespan before the bookies kicked them off. Correct. Yeah. And so you said, okay, well, I need, I obviously need these 500 people to stay um, uh, much longer. So we need to create new products that they're going to find valuable. That's going to help them make money outside of the, prom- outside of those initial promotions. Yep. And so really what you're saying, the next step now is just launch more services. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Have a, have a, a, a pathway for the, these guys who are banned everywhere with promotion. They're like, yeah. And it's like, what's next? Like, can you come up with something? I'm like, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, so we've, we've come up with one a couple of months ago. Um, don't need to go into the details of all that, but, but I'll give you the high level. We basically got all these private odds feeds from a lot of bookmakers out there, including offshore, including a lot of the exchanges. And we're able to parse that data in real time and, um, pick off the bookies when they're a bit bit too slow to move their prices. Um, yeah. And we're looking at other non-promotional services as well. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like promotions are just a huge part of the gambling industry. And what, what, what they obviously do them to get people onto their books or onto their platform because once they're on, it's just so easy to, to kind of use it. For example, I, I'm on Ladbrokes. I don't know why I'm on Ladbrokes. I probably just saw the ads and it's like, that was all right. Um, if I gamble from on sports, which is only on the UFC, I use Ladbrokes still to this day. Mm. Whereas like the other day I saw the reason I said DraftKings was I saw bet $5 on any fight and receive a hundred dollars or something ridiculous, like $200 and like money, like that's not going to encourage me that much to get onto a platform. But even I was like, Oh, you know, like, that's pretty good. I get five bucks, I get 200 bucks or whatever it was. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. And um, maybe I will look at DraftKings. I didn't, but, but my point is, promotions in any business are huge. Like retail these days, you basically don't go shopping unless unless there's a promotion. My, my girlfriend won't even buy anything because she knows that that store is going to have a sale coming soon. Yeah, and, and I guess what are some of the tricks you've learned about promotions? The gambling industry must be masters of the promotional art. Yeah, that, they are very good at that and – I mean, I don't, I don't have all the insight into the exact breakdown of all the maths behind it, but um, the one key part of it, and I mentioned it maybe 20 minutes ago, was um, the, the way that punters convert bonus bets. And I mentioned you don't keep the stake. So a lot of, a lot of punters don't actually realise that. And so they'll often use bonus bets to back really short prices. And what that means is the, the conversion into real money which you can withdraw, not bonus bets, which you cannot withdraw. Um, the conversion is very low. So when they, I mentioned the example, if they, if you're converting at thirty percent, they give you a fifty dollar bonus bet, and it's actually there in their model, the bookmaker's financial model. They're like, we're giving you fifteen dollars of value there, um, and we need to keep you going. And then they'll they'll have their CRM work out that hey, Daniel hasn't had a bet on bet for four or five weeks. We need to make sure he's not thinking about joining DraftKings or whatever it might be. And then yeah, they'll go astray. Yeah, keep you in there, and and so they'll try and re um, reignite you as a someone. So it's a huge part of the, the betting game for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really it's really that you kind of describe two types of promotions that any business can look at. The first is the hardest one, which is how do we get brand new clients to try our product? 
to use it. Because once you've used it once in any business, like once you've gone to a gym once, you know that gym, you know where the, you know, the squat rack is and the bench press over there. Like I, I feel much more comfortable going back to that gym now than I would if I had never been to that gym before. Mm. Or like cafes. I don't even go to new cafes. If I haven't eaten there before, tried it before, sat down, like I won't even go. So going there once, like try, being on something once is the hardest thing to do. But once you've done it, if you liked it, it's so easy to go back. And and so that there's that promotion, which is how do you get customers to just try your product? Yep. It's just come try it. And, and and then the second type of promotion is how do you make sure they don't forget about it? You know, and 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 that's two. Those are two promotional tricks that any business can implement. And I guess one thing that you're mentioning from the gambling industry is that they're offering you a promotion that sounds so enticing, but to them has very little, it, it looks, the, the value is greater to you than the loss is to them, than, than, you know, than, than the giveaway is to them. Yep. And how can you do something like that? with your, with your business. And I mean, there are easy ways. For example, if you're a gym, you can say, hey, come in, we'll give you a free PT session uh, on your first day we'll give, and a proper, you know, that way you can learn the whole gym. We'll give you a full rundown of the gym plus a PT session and then come in and use it for free for a week or, or a month. Who cares? Because it's not costing you extra having that person there, but the odds that that person, if they get in that routine of coming to that gym, the odds of them joining are super high and then, I mean, people rarely cancel their gym memberships. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you just forget about. And Sticky. It's, yeah. 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 It's, it's, and so, you know, every business should, I mean, we're, we're Cub, we should probably think about that. But then again, there's businesses like Cub who we don't have promotions. So we've, we don't have discounts or special offers or, or we might help people if they need help in certain things, but there's never a discount or there's never a big, you know, Join now and 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 get this. Companies like I guess Louis Vuitton, they probably don't have discounts, or Chanel doesn't have discounts. You know, they, these are companies that are kind of like. So there is the flip side where it's like mm. Mm, we don't do promotions. If you're good enough to come here and you're good enough to be part of this, you're good enough to be part of Cup. Well, then you can just pay part of Cup. You know, like it's that yep. it's a different styles. It's just a really interesting space to be in. And that can work too because then people have that fear of, a, oh, I want to be part of the good thing, you know. They're so good that they don't have promotions. Yep. I should be part of that. And it's just understanding who your market is, what your product is, what the best way for you to entice people to join yep. uh, or to join Cub, but, but to, 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 to try your product. Is. Yeah, yeah. And also uh, another key, key consideration is how much can you measure with that? The bookmakers can measure a lot. Obviously they know that Daniel's joined. He wanted the hundred dollar deposit offer. Okay. Then he, he's having his weekly 50. Then he's not bet for, for two months. We sent him an offer. Okay. He started going again. And then he's lost a thousand bucks over a two week run. And then he went quiet again. And so they can, they can quantify a lot of that, mm. nearly, nearly all of it. Um, oh, they could be masters of the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've got the data. They've, they've got the data. And so then therefore it's just this engine and then it's really just a question of just um, putting certain members into certain categories and going, okay, they they look to be in this this profile. Here's a, here's a, a potential strategy to follow with them. We get some members sending us um, screenshots of how they've – They've lost over. This might sound a bit funny. Like lost close to a million bucks with some bookies. I mean, obviously these these people are probably worth fifty million dollars. I don't know, but 
Um, I only know them. On, you don't. <laughs> I only know them on Telegram. So you can call yourself Pink Panther on Telegram. Um, What's Telegram? It's a messaging app like WhatsApp, but more secure. And why do you guys use Telegram? Because it's like an anonymous. People can suit. be anonymous, yeah. Because yeah, people are weird about gambling. I yeah. don't want you. I don't want people to know that I like to gamble. That's right. But my with this whole, I've lost a million. But what, what, my, the re- reason I mentioned that in this context is they'll get very spe- very special offers from the bookies. Like the bookies will be offering them. I mentioned a fifty dollar cap on a lot of promotions for you and I. Um, not me anymore. But um. The you know where these guys who have lost a lot they've they're getting promos up to five thousand per race so you know they it's a it's a CRM game I guess um, they're trying to squeeze as much out of you over a long period of, uh, over the long term not not the short term using promotions and and do you you mentioned that you educate your clients so uh, you educate them on the the booking field you put did you say it's a week course or something like that we've got a seven day betting course and that goes through the key fundamentals when do they yeah. do that. We, yeah, good question. We, um, we've sort of, and this goes to sort of our, the way that we find, um, customers without giving away all the secrets, the way we found works best for us is, um, is a free trial. Like as we've talked about the gambling industry, everyone, it's got this perception. It's like that it's dodgy. There are some unethical operators out there. So naturally people are skeptical when they see our service. So what we find works best for us is very easy, um, to join, seven day free trial. They get that seven day betting course in there as well. Goes through the fundamentals. They're in a chat group with that group. Um, and they can ask questions and we know like over the long run, we're going to convert close to 20% of those. It depends on how the results go during the week to some degree. We know that 5% of those people are going to call us a scam in like publicly in the chat group. Cause that's just the long term average. Um, like initially, cause they're like, Oh, what's this scam? Yeah. Um, but this oh, is, you always have that. You just work through the the funnel and the pro, and the probabilities, and you just um, sort of apply. It. But I think what's important is there's one aspect which is get create a promotion that actually enables you to get uh, people to try your product, and then the next thing, which I mean, at Cub, it's probably one of our most important things, and it's it's something that uh, we're always looking to improve. Is what is there f- like? What is that? Well, Cubs is longer than a week, but but in your case, it's like okay, what's their experience for the first week? So how do we give them an experience, a, a, a first experience at our business, whatever your business is, that is going to make them like okay, wow, I I feel comfortable. I always think things about feeling comfortable. You know, I feel comfortable here. Where I feel comfortable with the tipsters. Uh, because um, they they showed us their theory, they showed us their you know, how they do things, they explained, they taught us something, and I think that week having a bit of community, having conversation, maybe winning a little bit of money, like I think every business should have. Okay, what's that promotion that's going to get someone to try my product, and then what is that first initial experience, whether it be you know one time online shopping, the first time you're online shopping or at Cub, our first year is actually our initial experience. So uh, after the second, someone goes in their second year at Cub, they're there for life. They stay, they, they don't leave. Yep. So we know that. So we, we, we look at, and we still don't do it well enough to be honest that first year. We should be upset. We should, we should um, um, uh, ramp it up and, and we, we do every year. We, we improve it. But we know that that first year is the most important thing, and we know that the last three months, for example, of that the first year, the first three months and the last three months, are the two most important periods of someone's first year of membership. Mm-hmm. So, any business can kind of figure out those things for themselves, and um, and then create experiences 
for that time frame to push people further through the funnel. Yep. You know, and I think your first week education trial is a great example of that. And that can be applied to any business. Yeah, for sure. And the you're spot on and we've only recently sort of discovered how valuable that is. It was previously a, a drip feed campaign of emails and like who wants to, it's just, it sounds like, doesn't sound like very personal experience. It's just like just any CRM. But yeah, this seven day thing now it's, it's about, we know the, the hesitations people have. We know the biases they have having experienced other things. So what's the way that we can um, make them a lot more comfortable that we're different, give them an environment where they can ask questions, um, let them experience the product in real time, let the trading team answer questions whenever they've got questions, whether it's during a busy day or, or not, and have some structure. 100% that's um, it's been a bit of a game changer for us and it's probably applicable, like you say, to many others. To any business. Yeah. And, and tell me um, – Cognitive bias is something that's huge in the gambling space, I would assume. You mentioned yeah. it very briefly before. Yeah. But what do you know about cognitive bias that could potentially uh, arm me and some listeners on <laughs> on gambling or anything or any other decisions in life? Yeah. I mean, gambling is a fascinating industry for the, the study of cognitive biases because – you've got very clear outcomes constantly happening and then you've got feedback from people, emotional feedback. Um, so like the key, some key biases that we to train members on are things like small sample bias. So for example, we start our trial on a Saturday and if the first two tips don't win, some members will be, or some trial participants will be like, oh, like this is no good. Like <laughs> This garbage a lot. They're, yeah, they're the scam artist one. That's they're right. The 5%. That's right. And then the day goes on and then you might have a couple of winners in a row and then, People are like, this is amazing. And that's like recency bias. We tend to overweight um, the recent events more more than they should. We, we don't have this appreciation for a longer term. Um, so these are sorts of biases that people um, very typically have on day one. Um, I mean, other general biases, you, we talk about positive reinforcement bias. Very, very common. You might hear someone say, um, um, see, look, see that that's happening over there. Um, it always happens. Um, and it's like, well, what's actually likely to be happening there is that they've got this perception in their mind that, uh, a certain horse always, um, or something happens when there's a variable X. Um, so they're always looking for evidence that that's the case and they're, they're closed to counter evidence. Um, that happens in the workplace all the time. For sure. People, like yeah. someone might say, oh, the members hate the welcome evening. And it's like, okay, what proof do you have of that? And then you mm. actually look into the data. Members love the welcome evening. You look into feedback, they love it. It's one mm. of the most successful events. But that person for some reason spoke to one person, said they didn't like the welcome evening. Yeah. And then you might have heard it six months later that uh, someone said, oh, you know, it wasn't for me or something like that. But the overwhelming number of people love it. And actually that's kind of what you're saying. It's like don't follow your mind, follow the data. And mm. to make decision on data, you actually need to look at enough data to, to come up with a conclusion. You can't just uh, – if you count just those two people in a year's time that didn't – you know, over a 12-month period that didn't like it, you, you're going to obviously have the that's wrong right. answer. And to take that even further, um, so we have this bias to, to try and prove ourselves wrong, right, because we – Maybe we have a drive to. That's a human right. Um, to take that even further, they I, I'm not sure which scientist um, this quote's from, but it's a very powerful one. They said that the most effective scientists are 
out there to disprove their own hypotheses, not prove their own hypotheses. So, which is the flip side of this uh, positive reaffirmation bias. They're actually trying to find counter evidence to their own beliefs. Um, that's very powerful. Um, so yeah, we've, there are a bunch of other ones as well that we that we think are very relevant. So uh, yeah, and they're I, very I, fascinating to apply to to your own life, you know, more broader life. They as well. are. That's why I also think it's sometimes good to have ego in business. Or if you're someone that wants to be successful, like if you if you're a sprinter, believe, I believe I can be the best sprinter. I believe I am the best sprinter. I just haven't run the fastest yet. You know, sometimes I feel like that's why having that chip on your shoulder is so important because it's kind of like you you almost will it into existence because you believe it, you look so hard for it, you you start looking for the things that you need to do in order to achieve it and you don't mind getting up at 4 a.m. and sprinting for three. You know, like uh, there's positive, there's negatives that can come from it, but I also think there's positives that can come from, uh, I mean, this, I can't remember what we call it, whatever bias, but, but, but it really, I call that just human nature. That's just human beings. That's how our brains work. You know, everyone's mm. trying to, perceive the world. It's like when you watch the news, someone who believes uh, in uh, A sees an article and it's like, oh, that's exactly how I see things. And someone that believes in something else sees the same article. It's like, what? These people must be absolutely crazy. What is wrong with the world? Mm. You know, it, it's just, it's just, they're choosing to see certain things and then probably surround themselves with others who choose the same thing and therefore that reinforces it further and then they don't know where the fuck they are anymore. Yeah. But but I just find humans so so interesting. But I'll just add a real interesting quick point is like this click world where algos are trying to define our behaviours and our preferences, it, it further enhances this whole positive confirmation bias even further. You click on one thing, um, you know, I play golf, I, I click on one golf article and then all I see suggested posts about golf or – and more powerfully, obviously, there might be beliefs that you have about the world, not just preferences, but beliefs. And you click on one thing, and then all of a sudden, you just—that's your world. Yeah, you're, um, you, you're in the tunnel. You can't get out. Yeah. On Twitter, like for example, I'll uh, uh, follow, search, and follow Fox and CNN, you know, and uh, Democrat and Republican leaders. Because if you just followed one, you—they're going to just show you all of just one. When you follow both, at least you're kind of like, okay, well. My, you know, my vision's a little broader. I, yeah. I'm sure they have the stats on figuring out which one you actually uh, agree with more or, or not. But, but, but at least you have a wider vision. Be, be, to be successful, you need a wide vision. You need to be open and accepting, and empathetic and understanding to to all to everybody's point of view. And what's happening to the world is, well, to most people is they're in this tunnel. They don't understand each other because they don't understand each other. They hate each other. They want to fight each other. And, and, and to be great at business, you can't be in a tunnel. You have to, you have to be, you have to be, you can't be in the jungle. You have to be out of the jungle looking in. Say, look, there's a lion there. There's this there. That these people are all folk. These animals don't know what's going on. I'm going to put a fence and lock them all in. Then <laughs> you become Mark Zuckerberg. But, <laughs> but, but, um, but I think that's a very good point. We do have to wrap up. Thanks so much. That was awesome. No worries. Uh, great to chat. Good to see you again. Um, I think the only thing I'd say is if anyone wants to trial our system for free, seven-day trial, like, as I said, there's the betting course in there. If, you, if you're curious and you want to find out more, I'll put the link in. Well, I also think, I mean, because you've got um, a, a select group of, of people that you're working with, the 500 or whatever, and uh, uh, listeners, if you want to get in, in contact with Jonas, go to the club forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get in contact with him there and find out more um, about, about Edge Alerta. Um, um, also if you haven't checked out Cubs, uh, social media, 
yet you should. It's at Club United Business on Instagram. Uh, you'll see a lot more cool things there. But 100%, check it out. And uh, I think if they contact you, they'll feel more comfortable. Yeah, they cool. go straight into the platform and it's all good. All right, people. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Daniel.